Mini episode 1074 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1074. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And uh, we have with us today one of the foremost football experts that we know, a good friend of the show, Fran Stuckberry from Our Sports Central and a number of other fine outlets uh, for which he writes. And uh, again, we always talk to him at least twice a year, at least in terms of college football on that subject, in terms of we talk before the season and we talk before the bowl season. So we, we did our usual thing in uh, August and uh, very, very compelling as per always. If you'd like to go back and check it out and see where we were right and see where we were wrong, you can go uh, check that out there. Spoiler alert, uh, we were right a lot more than we were wrong, especially this guy, Fran Stuckberry, good friend of the show. Fran, thanks for coming back on, my man. Good to talk football with you as always. Thanks for coming. I'm happy to be here with this bowl season that's very, very competitive. You know, let's start there. You pointed this out to me off air, and uh, you were absolutely right. I went to the page that I go to get my uh, lines from and scrolling up and down, and this is a thing where, again, as you pointed out, an almost unprecedented kind of a year. I mean, so few games that have double-digit spreads. I, I can't remember a time uh, when there were as many games within a touchdown, some of them hovering right around a field goal, a handful of them even here, pick-ems, or, or just about in that ballpark. And it's one of those things where, I mean, theoretically, they could do this every year. Why the Bulls don't try to do this more often? I realize that there's conference tie-ins in many cases, and you got to do whatever. But even within the framework of conference tie-ins, you, you can try and maneuver to try and get a matchup that's more competitive. It's just weird to me that we don't see more of this kind of thing, of Bulls trying to go for matchups like this. Well, the thing is, with the SM Bowl Mania, which you got you got to basically pick the pick the team that's most motivated to be there. Some of the teams that could be motivated are teams that haven't been a bowl game for a long time, like Tulane. Uh, in the first bowl game in five seasons, you got you got to be able to pick teams that, that are excited to be there, that want to spring more to the, to the 2019 season. You got it, it makes it it makes it very challenging with these games so close and competitive. It's almost like you're guessing who's going to win these these non-major games. Exactly, and uh, for, for my friend and former broadcast colleague, uh, Don Peterson, who's a big honk for the U, I got bad news for him. They might be spotting four points presently to Wisconsin in the pinstripe bowl, but if you think they're going to be the more motivated team in a game where they're probably going to be freezing their nards off, it's going to be 15 degrees probably, snowing, it's a kickoff right around dusk. I, I can't possibly see where Miami is going to be the more motivated team against Wisconsin, revenge or no revenge. I, I agree with that, I, I... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's the whole thing here, too. There, there are some teams that just don't have a whole lot in the way of motivation in terms of not traveling a long ways or 
in terms of uh, where they happen to be going, if it's something that doesn't seem particularly interesting to the players on that team for whatever reason. So you're always hostage to things like this playing in. Disappointments the teams may be having in terms of a year that went a little bit south at the end of the year and some of the expectations there. There are obviously things where all of us have our little things that we're looking for that uh, others may not be looking for as much. In my case, as always, that boils down to Ohio Bobcats football. Ergo, I'm looking forward to the Frisco Bowl. Good show and FDH Lounge, or good, uh, good, good friend and FDH Lounge dignitary Chris Galloway will be going to that where we are at present spotting three points to San Diego State in a game down in Frisco, Texas. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, of the non-major bowls, uh, Fran, what are some of the ones that are kind of jumping out at you a little bit? Well, one that interests me is uh, Syracuse, West Virginia, and the Camelot Bowl. The yeah. honor is 75 for that game. That game's going to be a fun, exciting, shootout game. It really is. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got a game there. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, th- you, you talk about a game where I think uh, Gus Malzone would have probably jabbed a sharp stick into his neck if he knew this was going to be the matchup at the beginning of the year. He's going to be playing Purdue. And now Auburn, again, and Purdue had a better year perhaps than some expected, keyed by that huge stirring win over Ohio State in prime time. Nevertheless, Auburn at the beginning of the year, uh, a team that fancied itself with a chance to play at minimum in a New Year's Six Bowl game, if not the playoffs, how the mighty have fallen. They bombed. I mean, some people want to far, but they don't want to, you know, they sign into a big extension, right? That's true, yeah, and and only a year later, uh, I think they're looking for the fine print in that thing and a, a possible escape clause, but uh, there really aren't any of them in these modern contracts. You get to some of these games here, some of the Glamour Bowls, and uh, it's one of these weird things, because again, we're talking about all these competitive games. This looks like, on paper, the most competitive bowl slate uh, that we have seen, at least in recent memory, if not ever. And then you get to a Glamour Bowl like the Sugar Bowl, which will pair up uh, the SEC champions or the next team in line from there versus uh, the equivalent from the Big 12. Because both conference champions are in the playoff, that ends up being the number two teams, the runner-up in the conference championship games between the two, Georgia and Texas. You're looking at this, okay, two very proud programs, I think they pretty much have no history against one another on the gridiron, or if they do, it's minimal at best. But that's a game that has one of the bigger point spreads out of any of the bowl games out there. You you look at it, and it's a thing where you've got Georgia being favored presently by uh, 11. Uh, I'm looking at the line on that one there because, again, their strength looks to be something that Texas doesn't match up as well with. So it's kind of funny that you get to some of the more glamour games, at least on paper, and that might be the exception to this being a very compelling year of bowl games top to bottom. I guess a lot of people um, in Bowmania put Georgia very high with a lot of high consequences. I don't think many people think Texas is going to win that game. Yeah, I I don't think uh, a lot of people think that's going to be the case. Uh, Tom Herman has gotten off to a decent start at Texas, uh, but, uh, again, after that early upset at the hands of Maryland, things were looking kind of dire. They turned it around. Obviously, the win in the uh, Red River shootout ends up being a big uh, thing for them. They lose the rematch in the conference championship game, but uh, a, a good building year for Texas. They still have further to go. Speaking of Tom Herman's old school, uh, you're looking at what looks to be one of the more interesting matchups of the bunch, Houston v. Navy in the Armed Forces Bowl, and it's a thing where 
one of the best players in the country, Ed Oliver, ends up being the poster child for something you and I talked about off-air, that is, players who are not going to uh, risk their health and draft position in this game. One of his rivals for the top position in the draft, Nick Boza, sort of took that to a new level uh, when he didn't return at all from an injury at Ohio State this year. Could have come back, theoretically at least played some games in November, chose not to do so. More players are doing it the way that Ed Oliver's doing, which is you make it to the end, but then you get to a bowl game, and if the bowl game is deemed to be a nothing burger, then the player sits it out. Uh, on, on the one hand, it, it's something that me as an old school guy, I'm not, I'm not very thrilled about that. On the other hand, I think back to poor Jake Butt at Michigan, and he's sort of the poster child for why you do want to sit out these games. That guy cost himself a lot of money in the draft by getting hurt. These players are not going to risk throwing away millions of dollars for a bowl game. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't see it happening. If you're, if you're in the playoff, you're going to play. If you're not in the playoff, you're going to stay home and not get hurt. Yeah, that's what a lot of these guys are looking at, and uh, Ed Oliver is channeling everything into trying to become one of the top picks in the draft this year. I have seen him. I, he, he had been projected number one pretty commonly prior to the season. I don't know why, but there's a fair number of mock drafts that don't even have him in the top five anymore. Uh, I, maybe it's one of those things of where the scouts build you up just to tear you down. Maybe he was at an unsustainable level and then reality caught up this year. I don't think he had a very bad season, but uh, again, it is a competitive field at the top of the draft, no question about it. Uh, one of the players who could be in the mix, if he chooses to be, is uh, the guy who could be the best quarterback in a thin year at quarterback in the 2019 NFL Draft, Dwayne Haskins, if he comes out. Uh, having a season the likes of which we've never seen statistically in the Big Ten, and for Ohio State, they needed every bit of it, particularly as horrific as the defense was this year, getting gashed so often, giving up big plays, the, the most interesting soap opera season in the country, by far belonging to Ohio State, with the ups and downs. Urban Meyer sitting out the three games at the beginning on the suspension, uh, the subsequent uh, inexcusable blowout loss at night on the road at Purdue, the thing that ultimately kept them out of the playoff, and I would say deservedly so. They end up, uh, I, a lot of people would say, landing on their feet, the Rose Bowl. That's still, I, I, I live in Ohio. That still means a lot to us here, the Rose Bowl, the history of it. You're going to play the Pac-12 champion Washington. And now the major predominant storyline of that game, if not the biggest storyline of any non-playoff game this year, the last game for Urban Meyer, you were starting to get some hints down the stretch here as the word started getting out about his health, this cyst that's growing in his brain once again, the problems that it's caused him, and uh, the agony that he looked to be in some of those last couple of games on the sidelines. Uh, you could look at him and see that he was just getting those crushing head uh, headaches, these things fueled by stress. What could be more stressful than uh, having to maintain a nearly perfect record at Ohio State he maintains the perfect record against Michigan and rides off into the sunset 7-0 and against them. He'll try to win his one and only Rose Bowl appearance against Washington. And yeah, Fran, that one is going to be fascinating. It should be a good game, but I give that to Ohio State. They won, they won and they won and as a winner. And speaking of that, I, I, it's, we'll see if Urban Meyer doesn't come back in a, in a couple of years. When he recharges his batteries, his health gets better. I still think that door is open to, to, to some, maybe some schools down the road. We shall see. 
That's interesting, friend, because I got to tell you, uh, of, of the media friends that I have, everybody outside of Ohio seems to think that's the case. If you live here, if you're sort of, you know, soaking up what you've seen and heard from people and the, the grapevine in Columbus and whatever, I think it's more taken at face value. Not because, again, you and I talked about this. We did a special podcast about the Urban Meyer suspension prior to the season. And, and I went on record as saying, I, I think he showed himself as falling short in an awful lot of areas there. So it's not that I'm automatically taking the word of Urban Meyer. But, but this cyst and what it's doing to him physically and, and as far as the pain that he appeared to be in, I think that's why those of us in Ohio take this at face value a little bit more because he's an intense man, a very competitive man. It's hard to imagine him outside of football. I get what you're saying. But quality of life, nobody wants to have the kind of issues he's been dealing with. And given that in 2014, to get any kind of relief from this thing, he had to have a hole drilled in his skull. <laughs> the fact that he's retiring rather than having another hole drilled tells me that this retirement might stick, Fran. <laughs> I think you know, the Ohio perspective, you are right. Which happens a lot in podcasts. Well, you know, I'm just, again, we'll see which one of us is right on this. I, I get the sense that uh, this is, the, and, and again, the irony is, and I'm one of the ones that made fun of the fake retirement at Florida, and, you know, Urban Meyer faking a heart attack. I've made all the jokes about that. The irony is I actually kind of take this one at, at, at face value. Uh, before we start looking at the playoff matchups here, uh, any thoughts that you have on any of the other bowl games, major or minor? Well, we can do the, the, um, the, um, the Big Six games. I mean, uh, sure. UCF, UCF against uh... Uh, LSU. Yeah, you see, I mean, you see us against LSU. I mean, like, what, what do you think about that game? I mean, I mean, I mean, LSU is a big favorite in that game, but that's what happened last year. Would it surprise you if Central Florida won? It wouldn't surprise me at all because isn't that a classic example of who's got more to play for? But on the other hand, it, it depends on how you look at it because going into the year, remember what I said about Auburn. This is probably about the worst that a lot of people would expected from Auburn. Like, okay, they missed the playoff, but they're going to end up in uh, one of the New Year's Six games. Instead, it's LSU. LSU had a better season than people thought, but we're in this weird netherworld spot right now, aren't we? This sort of in-between spot with Ed Orgeron. Like, they made a New Year's Six game, but the onus isn't off him completely. Yes, they beat Georgia, but they let down in a couple of other spots. Like, I... I don't know, in looking at this LSU team, if they're going to be happy they're in a New Year's Six game, if they're going to be pissed that it could have been more than this if they hadn't blown it in a couple of games there. I mean, doesn't the motivation of LSU have a lot to say about this? Because the gap between them on the field, you understand why they're favored by about a uh, seven and a half right now as it stands. UCF is going to come out like they're shot out of a cannon like they were last year. I think it won't be enough if LSU's motivated. But LSU's motivation's got to be questioned. Well, it does have to be questioned, but I'm sure, I'm sure everybody that, I'm sure most of America is going to be rooting for UCF, the ultimate underdog, especially with their quarterback out last year, serious, serious injury. Absolutely. Although, you know, the antics of Danny White, uh, all the look at me stuff and the national championship rings and banner and whatever. Uh, I, I wonder if UCF isn't blowing any of their underdog cred with, with some of those uh, tactics. I wonder if they're alienating some people. Well, they are, Rick, because remember, remember they, they, were, they were so Florida on Twitter that they were dodging them. Meanwhile, they weren't dodging them. 
Well, exactly. So, you know, and, and by me asking the question, I suppose that sort of gives away my own stance on this one, is that I'd like to see UCF perhaps treated more fairly, perhaps given more consideration, although I certainly wouldn't have put him in the top four. But, but again, for my, my attitude on Danny White, whenever I see any of his stuff, is please go away. So the one non-playoff uh, uh, New Year's Six game that we have not touched on yet is number 10 Florida versus number 7 Michigan, uh, this being in the Peach Bowl. And uh, that is one where Michigan uh, at present is laying 7.5. And, a half. and uh, it, it's another one, too, in terms of both of these schools. And you sometimes get that in these games with the teams that just kind of sneak into one or two of the last spots in the New Year's Six. Yeah, it's the New Year's Six. It's a bigger bowl game than otherwise. I think if this had been... Uh, and I'm dating myself by calling it the Outback Bowl because I don't even remember if it's still called that or not, but if it was one of the non-New Year's Six games like that, both of these teams could be letting down. You look at it, and it's like Michigan, still a great year, except for Ohio State and Notre Dame, although those are two of the only games that really count, let's be honest, especially Ohio State. And then Florida, kind of the same as LSU, isn't it? Like, in some ways, it's a better year than you expected, but it could have been even better than this. They, they, they dropped a few games that kept them from potentially being in the SEC championship game. So much like LSU, I look at Florida and Michigan, and I say, both of these teams might show up mentally, but then neither of them might. It's really hard to tell with the motivations. I think it's more, I think it's more motivation for Michigan as being embarrassed by Ohio State. I think so. I mean, there could be a certain amount of, you know, some, some kind of balm to end the season well, to get a good jump on next season. A season where, again, they're going to be going up against Ryan Day subsequently, which uh, has to be a little bit of a relief for the folks in Ann Arbor. Let's say that much, that uh, the, the era of competing against Urban Meyer has come to an end. So, you know, you get a win in this game, you squint hard enough looking ahead to next year, and maybe you could see a little bit of optimism. If you're a Michigan fan, at least until uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend when they have to host the Buckeyes. But uh, you look at uh, the four teams that made the playoff here. You've got number one, Alabama versus number four, Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. Number two, Clemson versus number three, Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. Interesting that the default would have been Alabama going to the Cotton Bowl because it's a little closer to campus, but because it's so close to Oklahoma's campus, Alabama was able to successfully petition to get into the Orange Bowl, which doesn't surprise me. And, and again, both of those are, are equidistant, I think, more or less from the Alabama campus, not that it really matters much. I agree with the seeding of the four teams. I would have put them there in that order. I'd have had Ohio State 5, Georgia 6. That's the only quibble that I make in this. But 1, 2, 3, and 4, I'd have slotted them the same way, Fran. What say you? I, I would have done the same thing, Rick. All the four teams are deserving there to be in there. And the thing is, Ohio State, if you want to be in the playoffs, don't lose by 30 points to Purdue. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and i got to say, too, for anybody that goes, if anybody wants to pull up any threads at 11warriors.com, I, I would go and I would read comments and it would make my head explode. Like, what did you expect? You're playing Purdue on the road and they got that sick kid there for motivation? Oh! You know, like, come on. You, you, you're Ohio State. Try not giving up you know, eight plays of 80-plus yards in a game or something. You know, that, that defense was just paper-thin, toilet paper-thin. It was an embarrassment vis-a-vis giving up big plays in many games. That one comes to mind. Maryland comes to mind. There was a really bad one in the TCU game. 
where I think it was like the longest touchdown given up in school history, whereupon Greg Schiano said, hold my beer, and gave up equally uh, embarrassing touchdowns the rest of the way. So uh, pretty funny that Ryan Day at the initial press conference declined to answer on what uh, coaches were and weren't coming back next year, uh, which means, Greg Schiano, you better update that resume ASAP, pal. But uh, you look at the teams here, uh, and this is a good uh, segue, isn't it, in terms of the, uh, the Orange Bowl, because Oklahoma, so many of the same strengths, so many of the same weaknesses as Ohio State. You've got an explosive offense, and I, I think people have said this enough, it's almost a cliche, but I think it's true. Oklahoma with a slightly better offense and a slightly worse defense than Ohio State. That makes it a very frightening prospect against Alabama. If Tua is able to play at quarterback, if he's 100% healthy, him against that Oklahoma defense, you know, they might be uh, doing this on a ref stoppage by halftime, basically. But just the thought that it could be Jalen Hurts, who, again, was good coming in off the bench, but, I mean, what quarterback isn't good coming in off the bench? Kelly freaking Holcomb in 2002 was good coming in off the bench. There are limitations to it when a team has a chance to prepare for you. So Alabama presently favored by about two touchdowns against Oklahoma. I think it has a a, a good chance to be more competitive than the line would say, but I can also see a scenario where Alabama pulls away more than that. That's, that's one where I wouldn't want to bet it because that, that, that line is square in the middle of possibilities, which is, of course, what Vegas tries to do. How do you see that one shaking out, uh, Fran? Well, well, I feel how, how I feel. If Alabama gets out to a quick start, punches with the face and gets, gets out to a big lead, the game's going to be over. That's right. Just, that's the take I give. Because if Alabama goes out guns blazing, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma can't play catch-up with from behind it with so, being down so many points. I just can't see it happening. If, if Alabama gets off to a big start, then... You know, if they're up by, by two touchdowns in the, like, in the first first quarter, the game's going to be basically over. Now, here's what I find interesting, Fran, is that every year when they do this, it's always to be announced at the time of the selection show in terms of the times of the game. That There's a little bit of study that goes into what they think is going to be the better uh, time for these things. And going back to the last time that uh, these two bowls were in the rotation for being the playoffs. That was the uh, bad experiment of New Year's Eve, uh, of playing the games there and where the ratings were absolutely just shot in the ass. They put Alabama in the late game against Michigan State, and it was a disaster. It was like 31 to nothing. The ratings tanked. It, It was just really bad. I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, of the two games, right, you kind of think this one has a better chance of being a blowout wouldn't you think maybe you put it on in the early spot because people are going to come back for Notre Dame-Clemson? Or I wonder if they're worried about Notre Dame-Clemson following it if it's a blowout. I didn't expect this to be the 8 o'clock game is what I'm saying. I didn't expect it either, Rick. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And the, thing is, the funny thing is, when I did my work schedule, I, I, I wanted to be off and make sure I'm not working uh, that, that Saturday because I wanted to watch both games. But to be honest with you, they might both be underwhelming for us to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, we talk about this again, and, you know, it was the very first point that we made, a year of unprecedented close point spreads across the board. More close games forecast by Vegas than you'll see in just about any other year. And then you get to the playoffs, and that's where there's the sense of, you know, drawing a big line underneath Alabama and Clemson. And if you looked at it a year ago, you would draw a line under Alabama to Clemson because there was some separation from them a year ago. 
if they meet in the national championship game, if, if this is basically the NCAA equivalent of Cavs-Warriors where they meet four years in a row, which seems fairly likely, we'll have to see if that's the case. But Clemson is perceived by Vegas at the moment to be 11.5 points better than Notre Dame. This is one where if I have a lean on this, I sort of lean towards taking the points because I get the sense to whatever degree that Notre Dame might be being underestimated a little bit. Certainly, they're the more live of the two dogs to me. I think Notre Dame is more likely to win than is Oklahoma. And I don't know how great uh, the odds of that happening are, but I, to me, they have a much better chance to cover. What say you? I think, I think the game can be, can, be, can be a little bit closer. I think I mean, I, the uh, Alabama... Oklahoma game could be much much bigger. Um, um, but Notre Dame could hang it could hang with Clemson well. I mean, the game could be you know some the game could be close going to the fourth quarter where Clemson can pull away. Thing is, I, I ultimately I want Alabama Clemson in the championship. If, if Notre Dame for some reason beats um, Clemson, beats Clemson, uh, yeah, beats Clemson, that game could be a blowout. It could be, and again, it could be a, a rematch of the Orange Bowl where they killed them. Right, right, and that's. The, uh, the national championship game for the 2012 season, it was Alabama against Notre Dame. It was down there uh, in Miami, and uh, my brother, as a Notre Dame alum, actually went down there for it, and he and his friends had fun going to a national championship game and taking in the spectacle of it. They did not have fun seeing their team get curb-stomped, and I agree with you. It's likely to be, for all the talk that Brian Kelly has closed the gap between now and then, the gap between them and Alabama at the very top of college football, I'm guessing, is right about what it was in 2012. So it might be more merciful for them to lose a close battle against Clemson there. Again, you would get Alabama versus Clemson. One of the things that I find just absolutely fascinating about this whole thing, cities put in these bids and everything like that, and uh, that with now having the playoff format, it is a thing now where you're not just locked into the major bowl game cities like you used to be. Any city out there in America can put in a bid. This is going to be at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, uh, the obviously the home stadium for the 49ers. And I don't know if you've heard about this over a period of time, but I have, Fran. The thought that, I, as hard as it is to believe, that place may not even be full. Granted, they're probably they're going to sell all the tickets, but is everybody going to be there for it? It's college football in Northern California, which is not one of the hot spots for it in America. Let's be perfectly honest about this. So the notion of playing the national championship game in front of at least a partially apathetic stadium is something we haven't had to confront before. Well, especially with the fact that, that tickets from flights from, from Alabama to San Francisco are going to cost a fortune and any, any, any of those other cities. They have to book them, you know, a uh, younger man with insurance in case the team doesn't get there. That is an amazing point, actually, when you get into the economics. That's a great point, Fran, because, yeah, the travel to there, that, that if your team is going to make it, uh, the, the turnaround travel, if you win the semifinal game, doing it on uh, short notice, yeah, you, you, it doesn't lend to the sense that there's going to be a lot of representation from either school. Obviously, the richest of the rich alums are going to be there, but as far as everybody else... Who knows? Uh, in a sense that, again, Clemson this year, yes, I think the the offense has looked a little bit better. Uh, you got Dabo Sweeney doing what uh, Nick Saban did and making a change at quarterback that ended up being a change for the better. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting to me because if these are the two teams in the championship game and you say going into it, okay, those two teams were cut above everybody else, as I say, 
it may still be a case where you're drawing a line underneath Alabama to Clemson because my early guess is that the uh, the line could be somewhere in the ballpark of Alabama minus six or seven going into it. I think, I think that's a reasonable point. But that's a game I want to watch. That's the game America wants to watch. That's the game ESPN and, and ABC want. ESPN wants people to watch. So they'll get the highest rating. Though some people, you know, don't today. Everyone thinks don't today. Everyone's name will all every state, which I disagree. But that's just my opinion. In, in looking at it. And I hear you on that as far as wanting to see in terms of, you know, like a pure football matchup. It's something I'd like to see as somebody who doesn't like uh, Nick Saban in Alabama. I obviously would root for the team that has the strongest chance of beating them in the country, which, of course, for the last uh, four years now has been Clemson. Uh, But this is one of these things where there's a little bit of a debate about it. In the NBA, it sort of got to be diminishing returns of the Warriors and the Cavs, especially once Kevin Durant got to the Warriors and it was perceived the last two years to be more of uh, just uh, something that was inevitable once you got to the finals. But Cavs-Warriors was about as hot as it got. That wasn't geographically clustered in the southeastern part of the country. There's a sense of, uh, using the marketing term, ghettoization as far as putting a ceiling on what it is perceived to be a reach here. You got one team from Alabama, one team from the state of South Carolina. On a national basis, Alabama Clemson, is it that is it going to be hot enough, you think, to pop a big rating? Or or is the geographic thing of both teams in the southeast, neither team outside the hottest region of football, you know, to the rest of the country, do you think that's something of a concern as far as limiting the appeal of it? I think the rating will be I think so as well. Uh, I think I think it'll be a good number. And uh, again, it's going to be one of those things where the number is going to plummet uh, if uh, Alabama pulls away as they did last year. But uh, if they meet, and I think I agree with you, uh, the odds certainly point to that as far as the likeliest scenario. I think we're more likely to get a thriller like we did at the end of the 2015 and 2016 seasons than we did last year in the national semifinal when they played when it was kind of a dud with, with Alabama winning. Uh, going away. So a lot of great football to look forward to over the course of the next month or so. And uh, again, it isn't always the case. You look at the basically the undercard, you know, the bowls that lead up to the major bowls and then the playoff games themselves. And uh, a lot of times it's just a matter of, you know, as we've said, matchups that may or may not be great. But uh, again, I'll circle around to that as, as we bring this full circle here, Fran. Matchups top to bottom that look like they have a chance to be very, very interesting and worth watching. I mean, they're very appealing. I mean, for me, NC State going to be playing Texas A&M in the Tax Lay Bowl in Jacksonville. That's going to be a fun game. I'm going to be going to try to watch New Year's Eve. Yeah, that is uh, going to be really, really fascinating uh, to see how those teams match up. And again, so many great football games to watch this time of year. As always, uh, a pleasure breaking it down with you. Uh, nobody I know who knows more about the great sport of football than you, Franz Stuckberry. Of course, your work at Our Sports Central and other fine outlets. Thank you so much again for making time for us today, Fran. A pleasure as always. Thanks, Rich. Happy to be on as always. Thank you, Fran, and thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1074.
As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Out. Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 